Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hello, Explorers. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 134 of the podcast. It's the 21st of July, 2018, as I record this intro. And you may notice I'm recording a few days early because Lissy's visiting soon and we'll be busy hanging out when this episode comes out. This week on the podcast, I have a really fun conversation with Virginia Warren. Virginia's two daughters have never been to school, and we dive into their journey to unschooling, her biggest stumbling block along the way, her perspective as a gamer mom, what surprised her most so far, what her favorite thing about unschooling is right now, and loads more. As a personal update, the Portuguese translation of my book, Free to Learn, is now available. Yay! (laughs) Thanks so much to Cipriana LeMay for her diligent translation work as well as her work with beta readers during the editing phase. I'm so grateful for her effort. If you'd like to grab a copy or know someone who would appreciate getting a copy, you'll find links to purchase the ebook and print book editions of Livre para Aprendre in the show notes, or just search your favorite online book retailer. And as a community update, I want to thank everyone who has chosen to support my unschooling work through Patreon. And a big welcome to new patrons, Sue Patterson and Tracy Moore. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Their generous support is vital to helping me freely share information and inspiration with anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to support my unschooling work, like this podcast and my website, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash exploring unschooling. And actually, I just finished hosting and recording the Patreon July video chat where I shared my talk, The Value of Relationships for Learning, and it was a lot of fun for me. And with that, let's get to my conversation with Virginia. Welcome, everyone. I'm Pamela Rickia from livingjoyfully.ca, and today I'm here with Virginia Warren. Hi, Virginia. Hi, Pam. Hello, hello. I was uh, recently connected again to Virginia through a mutual online friend, um, and I am excited to learn more about her unschooling experience. So to get us started, Virginia, can you share with us a bit about you and your family? Uh, my husband, Bill, have been married. Uh, it's going to be 19 years this year. Uh, we have two children. They're both girls. Um, Lydia is 13, and Miriam is 11. Um, and they've never been to school. Oh, they've never been. No, we, we actually decided on homeschooling before our kids were born. We live in an area that makes that an easy decision to make. I live in Montgomery, Alabama where the public schools have been taken over by the state uh, because of performance and corruption and safety and lots of reasons. So that was an easy decision to make. Um, homeschooling is actually not that unusual in Alabama, and it's also 
really, really easy to do. Uh, most of the people, though, who homeschool in Alabama uh, do it for religious reasons. So people will assume things about you when they find out that you're which, you know, to be fair, they're pretty safe in assuming <laughs> in our area. <laughs> right? It's, it's not a big from there, how did you discover unschooling then? Everybody's homeschooling. And what did your family's move to unschooling look like? Uh, well, I was actually, I'm not sure how, but I learned about unschooling while I was still pregnant with my first oh. daughter. I started reading on SandraDodd.com. Um, this would have been in uh, 2004. Um, and uh, I was already interested in attachment parenting. Um, I was already kind of planning ahead for that kind of soft landing. Um, and when I read the stories on Sandra Don's website about how people lived with their children, I would cry. I was sitting at my desk with my big pregnant belly <laughs> at work during my downtime, reading, you know, SandraDodd.com, you know, playing with the randomizer, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, things, learning all these names of these people that would influence me so much. Yeah, I was just, I was lucky enough to stumble upon it. I, I wish I knew how. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I joined the always learning list. I think my kids were still really young and I, there were a lot of things I still didn't get. I thought so much. Um, but you know, it, it's easy to say you're going to homeschool when your kids aren't even school age. Yeah. Like you don't know what's going to happen. And you know, and so, <laughs> uh, so I, I started reading, uh, I started meet, meeting people online. Um, I got a chance to, uh, I, I made some friends. Um, my family and I, uh, went to MineCon in Orlando in 2013. And because I was on, uh, an unschooling Facebook group, we were able to locate some other unschoolers who had come to Minecon. And um, the, the people I met there, they, they actually hadn't traveled from as far. They were uh, Florida locals. And we all went out to dinner that night. And w one of the mothers like invited us to come stay at her house so we could go to their homeschooling park day. <laughs> oh. And we did. And we had a great time. It was a lot of fun. And, and, uh, you know, that's how I first started meeting people and like seeing the rubber meet the road. Um, and of course, we had already decided, you know, not to use school and our kids were already showing so many varied interests, the idea of introducing curriculum seemed limiting rather than helpful. 
<laughs> so, yeah. So that's how you got there. That's, that's, cool. how, that's, that's how we got started. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Well, in during that time then, um, what did you find to be your biggest stumbling block as you came to understand what unschooling was as a I lifestyle? Of, I kind of mentioned it before, but like thinking that I already knew, like thinking, oh, well, I read all this stuff and I read it twice and I read everything. So I, I knew what was going to happen. I knew what was going on. Um, And there were areas where, like, (laughs) um, for example, (laughs) I, I already hated school and my kids had never been to school. So clearly de-schooling completely irrelevant to me. So I didn't need to read about that. I didn't need to think about it. I didn't even need to know what it was. I mean, because clearly, you know, I already knew what it was. I thought I did. Mm-hmm. Um, another place, and this is a pretty common one, um, and this was a combination of thinking you get it, but you don't, and also not paying attention to your own words, but I thought I had the whole food thing down because I didn't. Um, I had never required my children to eat at certain times or in certain places or in a certain way. And, well, you know, I could just control what they eat by controlling what I bring into the house and where I take them and how I react to what they choose. And because I thought I already was so woke on that, I never read the Full Plate Club. I never read the pages about control. And it's associated problems because I, I didn't have that problem. I wasn't trying to control anybody except when I was. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even realize what I was doing until uh, my family went on a cruise one year when my kids um, were five and seven. And I kept saying, <laughs> I'm not going to try and control what anybody eats on this cruise. I was saying it out loud. And I still couldn't appreciate the fact that if I was not going to try and control what anybody was eating on this cruise, that means I was trying to control what people tried to eat. And I wasn't even paying attention. I wasn't, I was just ignoring it. Yeah. I thought I was already doing the thing. That's. But I was just. That's really interesting that. It wasn't until you, you know, heard yourself saying that out loud that you clued in that there was there was another level for it for you. Oh, I, and I had to say it out loud like five or ten times <laughs> before I <laughs> noticed. Yeah, before you noticed. And that other piece when you were talking earlier about how you know you didn't think that you needed. Um, Deschooling. You didn't look into what people meant by that word because you already dislike school. So it's like, you know, thinking that deschooling's all about um, deprogramming kind of <laughs> about, about school. And I mean, in a sense, at first, that's what it can seem like, right? Although by the end, you really get to a, 
a, a totally different place. So that's really interesting. That might be really helpful for some people to realize that it's not about like learning to dislike school. Like it's not about disliking school at all. Exactly. That's it's so really cool. it's dangerous. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what your child is going to want. You don't know what's going to happen in your family. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you're saying and who's hearing it and what it's making them feel. My kids don't need to think that their friends that go to school are a bunch of, you know, slaves and prisoners. If their friends who go to school want to tell them that they feel that way, (laughs) that's their business and that has happened. Um, The most surprising thing I found in this, you know, this, this doesn't generalize, but I found it interesting um, my, uh, my younger daughter has a social group of kids that she connected with through a roller skating rink that we go to. Some of the kids she knew before and most of them go to school. Yeah. And I asked her what, um, they say about school and she said they never talk about school <sighs> at all. Ever. <laughs> I was like, hmm. okay. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, no, that's like 11, 12, 13, 14 year old kids. Yeah, they just leave it, leave it behind. That is very interesting. Yeah, I mean, it that is such a great point in that you don't want to. I was going to say, you know, you don't want to, to poison any relationships by giving um, that kind of impression even to your kids or even for us to think about it negatively. I mean, I much prefer thinking about it as it's a choice, right? You know, that's a place and and we understand how it works and it's a choice for us to send our kids there or to not. Because, I mean, same with, with my kids growing up, we didn't have. Um, unschoolers, even homeschoolers, really in our in our neighborhood, in our area that we knew. So all the kids that um, my children engaged with face to face, they pretty much they did all go to school, right? It was just a different way to learn, you know. And we never made a big deal about it one way or the other. It was just the the other kids would think it was awesome that they could choose not to go. <laughs> Now, this I've been looking forward to this question too, uh, because uh, our friend, our mutual friend, described you to me as a gamer mom, right? And I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> and I, I for many years just loved uh, watching my kids play video games and helping them with walkthroughs and and helping them find all the little hidden bits and looking up codes when they were younger and doing all that kind of stuff. We had so much fun. Um, but my personal gaming skills kind of top out at Animal Crossing. And I love Phoenix Wright and um, is it Animal uh, Crossing. Hotel Dusk and those, <laughs> those kind of um, – they're more uh, – they're not action games. Let's put it that anything where where there's there's timing on my response, I'm in trouble. So I'd love to hear about your experience and perspective on video games. Well, um, my husband and I both um, have loved video games since we were children. We're a little early on that, but we both, you know, not only 
grew up loving video games and playing video games as much as we could. We both became, you know, computer professionals. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't work outside of the home anymore, but my husband goes to work all day and works on computers and comes home and plays on computers. And everyone in my family likes games. My, uh, my older daughter is gaming is definitely her main interest. My younger daughter loves games, but it's not her primary interest. And when she chooses a game, it's more about who she gets to play with than what game it is. Mm-hmm. It's more of a social experience yeah, yeah. for her. Um, and she spends, she spends a lot of time doing uh, digital art also and analog art. Um, <laughs> um, but for, for, it was, <laughs> this is, this is another it, a thing I can almost tie this back to stumbling blocks. Sometimes, you know, some people are lucky. Some people, you know, have like, you know, a little advantage in one area or another in unschooling. You know, some people, you know, grew up with parents who never controlled what they ate. So that's not an issue for them. Some people grew up with parents who never tried to uh, control, um, uh, (laughs) <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think of uh, was, uh, activities, choices, bedtime. Yeah, bedtime. Yeah. Um, for us, like the video gaming thing was like a gimme. Uh, and that's a, there's, <laughs> there's a hazard in feeling too smug. I mean, I, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think being smug ever really helps people out. It kind of feels good. You know, just like, you know, you can feel superior to somebody who hasn't had the same experience as you. you Good luck with that. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, You know, and and I even I even had, you know, I didn't even it let me overlook um, my own uncharitable thoughts that I still had about my children's interests. And here's a specific story. my daughter, Lydia, my older daughter, is very, very, very into Pokemon. And the, the amount that she knows about the Pokemon universe, the Pokemon themselves, the lands, the, the history of uh, the company Game Freak and the creator of the original Pokemon game and how he used to catch bugs in Japan yeah. when he was a child. Like, She's <laughs> her her. I like to say that her knowledge of uh, of Pokemon uh, is not encyclopedic. Encyclopedic, rather, it is Pokedextrous. <laughs> um, but there was still, you know, Pokemon hit in 1996 when I was uh, see, I was like four years out of high school, so I was 22. I didn't get into Pokemon when it first came around. If I had been a kid when Pokemon came around. I feel pretty sure it would have been my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't something I was into. It wasn't something that I knew anything about. It wasn't the type of game I really liked anymore. And there was still a part of me inside that at the same time I was going, wow, I can't believe how much she knows about this topic, how deep her interest is, how 
firmly lodged in her mind, all of these facts are. Um, but I still had this snotty part of me that was like, well, I wish that she would be interested in something real or I don't know. And I was having this crappy thought one day and I don't know why it was any different than it ever is, but I was finally able to perceive the fact that that interest Pokemon is real. It employs thousands of people. It creatively fulfills artists and musicians and computer programmers and writers who create it. It's a work of art. It creates jobs. Tons of people make money. Tons of people have fun. Even if there was nothing else good about it than all the pleasure that it's brought to people, it would still be wondrous. And it's done so much more. And that's just one game. <laughs> wow, that is such a great way to think about that, Virginia. I, it's so true, too, right? That there, it's, it's people's real lives that are, are all around. Their fingers are in all of it. And it's bringing, like you said, the creative fulfillment for all the people working on it, the business around it. Yeah, I mean, when you look at anything, you know, when you look at Minecraft in that way, when you look at, when you look at movies, like you can take that and realize all this stuff that we think is just, you know, fiction and not important, you know, it, those are people's lives that are creating it too. Those are adult people's lives who are enjoying and thrilled and making money through their job, creating these things. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I've never really, you know, looked at it through that lens. We're also big fans. Uh, my husband and I and our kids also are big horror heads. We love macabre stories and cool special effects. And it's really easy to sneer at horror movies and say that they are, you know, I don't know. Like anything anybody ever says about any piece of art that they don't personally like. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't change the fact that it's the work of hundreds of artists, from the people who design the special effects to the people who actually build the machines that, you know, squirt the blood out of that yeah, yeah. wound that was created by a makeup person and applied by maybe two or three other makeup people. And just... I know. I know. It's like it's it's art. It, and and people people like to think that they can objectively, you know, say this is good art and this is bad art. But I just think there's art that is for you and there's art that's not for you. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't help anybody to, as they say, yuck somebody else's yum. Yeah. Oh, I like. That. I hadn't heard that. Heard, oh, that's that's a good one. That's also why you should keep your mouth shut if someone's eating something that you don't like. You don't like it? Hey, don't eat it. Yeah, and that is something I learned from watching my kids, right? Now that I was with them all the time, I could see them exploring things and I could see their reactions and I could see how much they enjoyed things and I'd be like, huh, you know, that's not really my cup of tea, but you're right, I I very quickly learned not to say something because if I said something judgy, it would shut them down. And, and after 
seeing them where that where that takes them a few times shutting things down was not something that that I wanted to do right because it made the word world smaller instead of bigger because you never know what's going to connect to something else mm. and even if even if you think a piece of art a television show or a movie isn't that great it was still made by people who were influenced by other artists and you get to, you get to get connected to that world through their work. Uh, one of my kids used to like to watch this show on um, Disney. It was one of these, one of the shows they make there aimed at, at kids like, like school age kids. And it was called Jesse. It's about um, a young woman who was a nanny to uh, a group of kids. Uh, standard kid fair, absent or buffoonish adults so that the kids could actually do something interesting. Yep. But they had, a, uh, they had a Halloween episode, which was, uh, as it turns out, a, a The Shining pastiche. Like, they were making all of these references to the movie The Shining. Now, this is, this is a kid's show. It's not like, you know, an ambiguously all-ages show. It's a kid's show. But they made a Halloween episode that was full of references to the horror movie The Shining which I think is a great movie. My kids, we were watching this, this episode of Jesse, and I was curious, like so many cultural references have come through to them from things that they've never seen before. Like they know a huge amount of Star Wars, even though they've never seen any of the movies and are not interested in them at all. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's part of our culture. And so I was, I was curious if they had somehow heard of The Shining. So we were watching Jesse, making all these references to The Shining. I asked them if they'd ever heard of The Shining. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, how? And they were like, YouTube? And then they asked me if it was a good movie. And I said, yeah, it's a great movie. It's an excellent movie. And they were like, oh, let's watch it. And that's why I ended up watching The Shining with my two young children. (laughs) Uh, And the funniest thing was the things that I thought would scare them didn't scare them at all. And the things that I hadn't really thought about were the things that were scary to them. The, the funniest moment was um, we, uh, we were all made to jump by a title card that said Tuesday <laughs> because they had built up, they built up all of this tension expertly with Jack Nicholson staring out a window and the scary string music playing. We're like, Oh, the strings are terrified. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I thought, I have you ever seen the movie The Shining? I, I should probably not. I said love Stephen King. I used to read him all the time. I was a Yeah, I probably read Shining when I was their age. So. Um, but the, uh, I thought that the, um, the lady in the bathtub would scare my daughter Miriam because she was grossed out about stuff that had to do with skin. But it didn't scare her at all. Mm-hmm. And um, when the scene where the, the blood comes flooding out of the elevators, they Lydia said something like, well, I think somebody spilled a bottle of fruit punch. And Miriam said, maybe two. Um, so it didn't scare them at all. The scene that they thought was the creepiest was the one when Jack Nicholson picks up, when Jack picks up Danny yeah, Danny puts him on his knee 
and is like trying to be soothing, but Danny's obviously scared out of his mind. Mm-hmm. They found that to be the scariest moment in the movie. Yeah. Trust Oh, that's really interesting. It, it is so fun to, to see what, what, to see things through their eyes, right? No matter, no matter what, whether it's movies or, or games or whatever, to see things through their eyes is, is fascinating. And I wanted to jump back too, just to remember you were talking earlier about um, feeling smug. Right. Because I think that is a great clue. It's like the switch. The minute we're feeling smug, we're not learning anymore. We're not observing and analyzing things. We think we've got it all figured out. And now we're looking outward. And just, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that's a great clue. A great observation. I mean, it's not, I'm not, and I'm not saying it's, you know, it's, it's fine to be like, happy yeah yeah there's a difference there's a difference (laughs) but yeah i it's that's important learning doesn't end if you think you're done you're just ignoring yeah no that's a great point because i mean you even even i mean my kids are are older and obviously and I'm still learning in all those situations there's still forever there's something to learn you know I think that's the scariest moment when we think we've got things figured out because that we're we're gonna <laughs> it's gonna come hit us in the end sometime. If you think you've got things figured out and your plan is laid out, if you let new information in, you wanna change your plan. So many yeah. people don't wanna change your plan. Yeah, because once you get stuck in that in that rut You know, you think you know where you want to go and you think you know how to get there. Like I even write notes for myself now. Remember to be open and curious, open and curious always, because you know what? That rut might work for you. And but you might find that you're going to have to work harder to stay in there because there's so many other things tapping at you. You know, what about this? What about this? And if you're not um, letting things in and thinking about things, you might miss that amazing path that could have been like 10 times more fun, more fruitful, more whatever for you. You, you just, you kind of get tunnel vision, right? Even, even positive, there's negative, but there's positive tunnel vision too. I think there's, there's kind of a math term for that. And that's reaching, reaching a local maximum. You're at the top of the hill that you're on. And if you don't look around, you don't see that there are bigger hills that you could get on top of. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a great metaphor. (laughs) So what has surprised you most so far about how unschooling has unfolded in your lives? What's surprising about it? What's surprising is the way it seeps into everything. Unschooling principles apply to much more than homeschooling. That feels ridiculous to even say. Um, Once you once you decide to look and see if what you believe 
about school is really true or not. And you find out that you've made some mistakes in your thinking, things that you haven't examined, things you haven't bothered to, I don't want to say haven't bothered, that sounds dismissive. Um, there, I guess, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's coming out so That's okay, that's okay. A better way to, uh, I think it's about bias. About what, um, sorry? Bias. Bias, yes. Bias, um, unconscious bias. Um, it's normal. It, it, another word for bias is like a shortcut. Like there, there are positive biases and there are negative biases. And not all bias is bad. Um, you know, being biased toward patience. Like you think everything else equal. I'm just going to try and, 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 you know, stay calm and, and, and see, you know, what a, the application of more patience could take it. Um, like, if you never, if you're not aware of your bias, you cannot compensate for it. If you don't know that you are, it's very easy for bias to feel like absolute truth. Like for people to feel like the same thing we were talking, I, I mentioned earlier about people wanting to say this art is good and this art is bad. Yeah. That's bias because they're, what they're saying is the art I like is good and the art that I don't like is bad. Um, and I believe that de-schooling puts you into a habit of looking for bias and trying to overcome it and also looking for ways to try to form biases which actually make your life easier. Like, say yes more. That's a bias. Other things equal, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say yes. I'm going to be biased towards saying yes unless there's a really good reason not to. Um, and once I started noticing how much of the attitudes that I had about school were part of unconscious biases, things that you learn, like school is where learning happens. That's a bias. Mm -hmm. um, and I started applying that to other areas of my life, stuff that I hadn't um, really thought about all that much. And one of those things was um, how I choose or choose not to conform to um, uh, mainstream beauty. Uh, I hadn't really thought about it much before I had daughters, whether or how much it mattered if I decided to wear makeup or not wear makeup and remove body hair or not remove body hair. Um, and I've, <laughs> I've come to a much different position on these things 
now as a mother of daughters than I had before when I was just a daughter. Uh, <laughs> and I, uh, I don't want to do a lot of the, the beauty performance that is uh, part of our culture anymore, but I also don't want to, like, ruin it for my kids if they want to, because it can be fun. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out how to, I don't want to demonize shaving your legs or not shaving your legs. Uh, if they choose to remove their body hair or wear makeup, I want it to be, well, I want it to be, is what I want. <laughs> <laughs> I, all, all I'm trying to say is that I hope that they will be able to do it for their own reasons instead of just, I, I can't tell you how many times a day I watch a video. I should say how many times in a week, but I watch a video on, on YouTube or something and there's young women talking about something or other and they, they use the phrase, I had to shave my legs. Nobody has to shave their legs, <laughs> but it's okay to shave your legs if you want to. And that's, you know, that's the, that's the path I'm trying to, to, to chart and I don't know that I'm doing a great job. Um, maybe I should be more strident. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe, maybe I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm still not sure what I should be doing on this. Um, I think it's interesting that we feel we need to be sure you know, I mean, and it's it's something that's so super hard to talk about because, you know, on one hand, because it's like, you know, there our children are intelligent human beings and they're going to, you know, figure this stuff out. They are going to be living their lives. They're going to be getting input and. I think one of the, you know, when you were talking way back to what this question was, what surprised you um, about how unschooling is unfolding and it's, and you said it's how wide it ends up reaching, right? So we're yes. not, we're not making their world smaller so that they only know what we tell them, right? Um, mm hmm because so on one hand we are so deeply we're we're very connected with our children and we love them very much and we support them as much as we can but we're supporting them in experiencing a larger world and they're going to have um so many ways that they come across this information so and just living in an environment where they where choices are cultivated right? That we make choices for ourselves. And so whether we, we don't really need to know exactly whether or not we're doing the right thing, saying this or saying that, because that's one moment. It's one thing from us. And we've already, 
I was going to say taught them. No, we already live with them in an environment where what we say is not the be all and end all. Mm-hmm. You know, but we have certainty. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. Certainty shuts down learning. Also, as you're saying, yeah, yeah. sure. If you're sure. Well, you need any more information. <laughs> yeah. Like if you're sure and you got new information, maybe you wouldn't be sure anymore. Oh, no. Exactly. And those are the unconscious biases. You know, we're spinning right around this. It's beautiful because it's the unconsciousness of it that's that makes things difficult. That makes us think we have a right answer. Right. We can share what we think. There's this like because so often in questions and everything, people are like, uh, you know, what do I do with my kids in this situation? And so often the answer is, well, talk to your kids right? Have the conversations. There is no like right, wrong answer for anything. It's what makes sense for them. And the great thing about having these conversations with them growing up, rather than just telling them to do what we think, is that that we're there to bounce ideas around with. We're there for the time, you know, they shave their legs and then there mm-hmm. for the time when like, holy crap, I don't want to do this, you know, and you have, all, it doesn't need to be a one-time choice. We have in our, our entire lives to make so many of these choices, right? Be, mm-hmm. So on one hand- I used to choose to shave my legs yeah. every day. I can't imagine choosing to do that again, but- I'm not that person anymore. Yeah. So. And this is, this is how unschooling grows because once you're um, making choices and you're living a lifestyle where we're um, analyzing and making choices for ourselves uh, becomes the way we approach every day, it grows beyond just the educational or the, you know, academic pieces of it. Right. And it grows right into life and, and everything becomes up for grabs. Like, that's how food gets in there. That's how sleep gets in there. That's how hygiene gets in there, you know, if you want to call it bigger picture. Um, so, you know, on one hand, it's like these aren't be all and end all decisions that we need to make for our children and, and choose a stance, even if, even if it's, you know, let them be. The, but the challenge with that is I worry people take that, oh, well, then I, I don't have to be involved. I'll just let them do whatever they want. Because so often people interpret that to step back and not stay connected. But it's in those conversations about the topic where they figure things out, right? Where they bounce ideas mm-hmm. off of us, where we get to share our, our experience and our perspective. That's the important part, not the knowing which way to take the direction, to, to take the conversation, but to have the conversation in the first place, right? That makes sense. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I, it had me thinking about, this is something I was thinking about the other day. Um, there's a phrase that people use sometimes, and I mean, I've heard even, I've or heard, seen, read usually, <laughs> um, even, even by, you know, experienced unschoolers who I love a lot, this um, this phrase, I think it comes across like it, talking about like unschooling communication to people who like haven't already drank the Kool Aid. There's a phrase that I think people think it sounds really nice and sweet, but I think it comes across a little bit dismissive 
And it's something that people say, I, I, I feel like I've seen this and read this so many times, that um, unschoolers learn just by living life. And, man, everybody is living their life. If you say, you know, well, what makes us unschoolers different from you people who send your children to school is that we learn by living life. Ew. (laughs) Everybody is living their life. Everybody learns by living their life. I don't, I think, I think that sounds really flippant and smug and like, woo woo, we just do whatever. And it gives a really false impression, I think, of how unschoolers support their kids' interests. And, and of course, that's always that's going to look different for every kid. And that's what I, and I think that's what makes, you know, gets people into being like, oh, that's whatever you do. It's unschooling. We unschool on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Take a vacation. It's, I don't know. I'm, I'm just complaining now. <laughs> um, I get, I get your point. And you know, what's really interesting because when you say that, you know, um, live just, just by, they learn just by living. You know, I mean, it's true because unschoolers who say that know what they mean, but it's absolutely true. Kids who go to school are also learning from that experience. It's only that they're learning a lot of things that um, aren't really expected. You know, they're learning what life under control is. They're learning uh, coercion tools and how to react, how to submit, how to choose to rebel. Like they're still they're learning, learning that, through the life that they're living, aren't they? They, they're, they, I think that they're, whether, whether adults want them to or not, I think one thing almost all children learn at school is that the goals of school that have to do with, um, not to put too fine a point on it, crowd control almost always come before learning goals. And that's not, it's not a conspiracy. It's not something evil. It's the nature of group situations. Mm -hmm. If you have 30 or 40 children who only have one adult to pay attention. Oh my God. Sorry. (laughs) Let's not stray into school bashing. That sounds so hard. It's so hard. They they do it that way because it can't really be accomplished in any other way. And it's not really their fault. And how how well and that that means that how well a child can do in school is partially constrained by whether they can adapt to that or not. Um, I call it the school game. I hope that doesn't sound too dismissive. When I was a kid, I was really, really good at the school game. Yep. And it was very rewarding for me. I was lucky. I didn't know that the kids, I thought all the kids that didn't do schoolwork were like conscientious objectors. And I thought they were so cool for just being like, I'm not going to do this if I don't want to. 
I was just, you know, in me, I was just like, dude, just, it's so much easier. You just do it. And then they leave you alone. That's exactly me. <laughs> <laughs> just do it. And then the rest of the time you can do, do whatever you want. Yeah, just get it over with. It never occurred to me that there were some kids that couldn't do that schoolwork because it didn't make sense to them. They weren't developmentally, you know, ready. You know, some kids don't really read until they're 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. You can't tell the difference between these kids and kids that read it too when they're all 18. But I don't remember learning how to read. Um, it was just something I could always do. And I didn't know that other kids weren't just like me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. <laughs> it's it I yeah, you know, because all we see is the system's view of it, right? We don't see the individuals until we start paying attention to that. And I know for me anyway, I I didn't. I just like you said, I learned the game and I played the game to make them happy and and that was that 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 was all there was to it until later on when i started looking and to to see the implications of the system and and yeah it's you know it's it's i i want to say it's not school bashing in the sense that you know we're choosing that's not the system in which we want um to live to put our children in you know we want a different system now it's it, it it's not like like you said the system's not a conspiracy you know people who are choosing to send their children to school that's that's part of the whole picture it's it's just again it's a choice and and i think the most important thing is just realizing that it's a choice because i think for parents once they realize that it's a choice even if they choose school at that point they realize there's also pieces inside school that they can choose. You know, they can choose not to put so much emphasis on grades and look more at the individuality of their child. You know, I know lots of parents who didn't smash on their kids about, about what their grades were or, you know, sit on top of them over homework and, and things like that. There, there, there's a whole different, different way. You don't have to become the system at home too. Right. I think I think grades are probably the most damaging thing about the school environment. Mm-hmm. I a lot of people uh, are still like ooing and eyeing over uh, Finland and their public school system and how wonderful it is. And I think the most important thing about it is they don't have grades. Nobody mentions that in those beautiful, glowing articles about how wonderful Finland schools are. Um, I, uh, I'm a fan of Alfie Cohn, um, author of uh, Punished by Rewards and uh, Unconditional Parenting. I believe I read, I know I read Punished by Rewards. But that really... I mean, I, I was already, you know, pretty much in that choir, but it was very eye-opening the way that he framed things. And the most, there, I believe this phrase comes from his book, but um, 
that children experience the withholding of rewards as a punishment. And that's absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Reward and punishment are the two sides of the same coin. Um, Yeah. And that it, it really does it. it, And it's a very strong tool of control. Like even when you're rewarding someone, um, it it's a tool of control. Like I love that you did this. So therefore everybody is going to learn that I would love if you did that more. <laughs> and what, and what happens, you know, I got an A this quarter. Am I less worthy if I get a B next quarter? Next and yep. you're always being ranked against other people, your friends. It's like this sorting and ranking. I mean, Every time psychologists do experiments on this, they find out it, it hurts people. It, mm-hmm. it causes them to focus on things that destroy them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I really wanted to know what your favorite thing about your unschooling lifestyle is just right now. Just right now. Yeah. Um, my favorite thing about our unschooling lifestyle right now is my kids are both my, my older daughter has been in it for a while, but my younger daughter is like getting into it. The between to teen sort of time rotation where they, they need a lot of sleep because they're growing and they still stay up the same amount of time. So the time that they sleep and wake kind of, Precedes through the day. I am so happy that they can get the sleep that they need. I remember being, you know, in the um, seventh, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. I remember waking up in the morning and crying because I was so sleepy. And I just wanted to sleep somewhere, but I had to go to school. And I fell asleep in school, at high school, so, so, so much. Like, I I would have gotten in a lot of trouble if I wasn't otherwise really good at the school game. Yes. Isn't it lovely that they can um, follow you know, get what their, what their bodies need, right? That, that is such a huge piece. Like, because when you're trying to go constantly go through your days exhausted, you, you just, you, you can't function really. It's literally sleep deprivation, right? It's literally dangerous. There's, I mean, the effect is so large. They can see an uptick in fatalities after um, daylight savings time every year, just because people are a little sleepy. Mm-hmm. There's more auto accidents. There's more people falling asleep behind the wheel. There's more accidents in general, just because people are a little bit sleepy. What we're learning about how important sleep is now these days is kind of mind blowing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, we keep, they keep studying sleep and it keeps looking more and more important. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but still, you know, the, I was going to say the system hasn't <laughs> adjusted to what we know, but. 
They just, they, they keep hearing, right. oh, scientists discovered that high schoolers need to sleep a little longer and also that ho- homework doesn't help people. Oh, well, <laughs> keep giving them homework. Don't change the time of school. It's, yeah. You know, school isn't, school is kind of set up for the convenience of a mm-hmm. We said it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and trying to, can you imagine just trying to make changes in, it's, it's like, like a large ship trying to really be going to school like 12 to six, mm-hmm. you know, that would be so helpful. I think I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me, Virginia. It was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it very, very, very much. Oh, good. I'm so glad. And before we go, where's the best people a place for people to connect with you online. Um, you can find me on Facebook in the best unschooling groups only. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't, uh, I'm like, technically I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I don't, um, yeah, don't, don't bother. Um, I never tweet and, um, my Instagram is like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't take followers. I don't know. So <laughs> I shouldn't tell people to yeah. follow me on Instagram. But yeah, you know, if you, you'll see me join the, join the groups, radical unschooling info. Life. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Unschooling Q&A. Unschooling Sorry. Q&A. Okay. Yes. You'll get me the links and I will make sure they're in the show notes. Thanks so much, Virginia. And have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the Tuck Talks. For six years, I hosted the Toronto Unschooling Conference. It was an amazing experience and I loved meeting many wonderful unschooling families. Though I no longer host the conference, the unschooling insights shared by the amazing speakers over the years are timeless. You can listen to all 25 talks for free on my website at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash conference. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.